0: The following is a conversation. It has the features of any conversation, such as imperfectly expressed thoughts, ill-considered opinions, and the notions of several sleep-deprived brains. Try not to get your stethoscope in a twist about it.
1: So say you have no clue, like, what kind of research you're interested in. In that kind of situation, when you're like, I don't know if I like kidneys or if I like, like heart and lungs, what are options for kind of figuring out some of the things that you might want to do? And is that even important?
0: To, to know for this kind of experience,
2: yeah, does anybody go into medical school thinking like, "Wow, I really love kidneys people I, I'm I sure mean, some exists. people do I'm sure they do, but like that's that can't be the majority of people that go into nephrology probably didn't start medical school thinking like, man, they just they look cool, they do cool stuff, you know like <laughs>
3: we love sodium <laughs> <laughs>
0: In the margins of medicine, it's the Shortcode Podcast.
3: Weird news, fresh views, helpful clues, and interviews oh.
4: by students for students. Subscribe to our weekly show at theshortcode.com.
0: Welcome back to the Shortcode Podcast, the show that gives you an inside look at medical school from the students drinking from that fire hose. It's a production of the University of Iowa Carver College of Medicine. I'm Dave Etler. With me today in the SCP studio, a man whose conclusions are always generalizable, it's M2 Matt Engelkin. Howdy. He's a model organism for medical student disease. It's M1 Jeff Goddard. A truer thing has never been said. She's double-blinded, randomized, and controlled. It's M1 Faith Prohaska. You got it. And he's safest to observe under a fume hood. It's M2 Chandler Brown. Do not trust me with chemicals. But if you thought that was everyone in the room, well, think again, Short Coats. We've also got with us U.I. Stead Family Children's Hospital Professor of Pediatrics Neonatology and Director of the Medical Student Research Program here at the Carver College of Medicine. It's Dr. Robert Rogier. Welcome to the podcast, Dr. Roger.
5: Thank you for inviting me. Glad to be here.
0: And, and the reason you're here is, you know, Matt and I were talking a while back about a question we see often from pre-meds and new med students. And the question boils down to, you know, how do I get involved in meaningful research, which is a simple question kind of, but there are layers to it that I think we need to talk about. Like what does meaningful mean in this context? What kinds of research can you do? What should my expectations be for an outcome of my involvement? How do I, how do I, how do I find that? So I, we, you know, Matt, you, Thought it would be great to have Dr. Roger on the podcast and and ask those questions. Yeah,
1: definitely. A lot of my friends did research between their M1 and M2 years, which is a great thing that we have here at CECOM. But I found some mixed reviews where I think some of them had different expectations from what they actually achieved. And some of them absolutely loved what they did. So trying to find that experience for as many people as possible, I think, is obviously something that we all want and something that'll make us better med students, better researchers, better clinicians down the line. So talking about some of those little tips and tricks to be like really happy with the work you did over the summer and going into the rest of your research experience if you choose to continue. So like Dave said, I'm really glad that we have Dr. Roger here to talk with us, give us some tips and tricks, have some more people, some more experiences that we can learn from and talk about so yeah thank you so the first step in finding good research is finding like what good research is available that you can do so part of that is like finding mentors that are available mentors that need med students research that you're interested in then they're interested in having you so the first question that i have for you is just from the beginning how do you find research that you think is interesting
5: Yeah, I think there's a lot of really good opportunities for medical students here in part just because we have such a robust faculty, but that can also, I think, make things difficult for students to identify that particular faculty that they want to work with because our mentor databases are quite extensive, like hundreds of individual mentors have put their names out there as people that enjoy working with medical students, so it can be difficult, I think, to focus in on just a few people that you might want to start reaching out towards. And we try to put some resources in place for people. I think it's good for students to talk to their peers and the communities are really nice. You can talk to people that have done it before and what their experiences were like. You have to understand when you're doing that, that each summer can be somewhat unique for the mentors. And a mentor that had a fabulous summer with a mentee might not be able to recreate that the following summer just because everybody has many commitments and the commitments can vary from a year to year basis. So, to get a little bit of a broader lens on it, you could reach out to the program administrators, Aaron Mullins and myself have worked with the mentors for a number of years and have seen the mentors that are consistently available and can help guide students into finding the ideal mentor for them, which is different for each student. Some students like a lot more hands-on, like immediate feedback and close contact with their mentor, and other students like to be given a little longer leash and be able to do things a little bit more on their own. And so I think it's good to be honest with yourself. Figure out what kind of mentor you're looking for talk to people and see who had an experience that sounds like something you're interested in pursuing and then start reaching out to people
0: so as we often talk about on the show the first people to reach out to are probably the the program coordinators and the and the director and and talk about what your what your goals are or at
5: least have that discussion Yeah, but I think we have a lot of different areas. We're interested in a few different research themes. And so if people are interested in heart, lung, and blood research, diabetes, kidney, digestive disease research, other areas of research, we have curated rosters of mentors that come to mind when people are looking for some of those different options. And so just kind of share your thoughts and goals and aspirations, and we'll try to find something that aligns with that and get you started in the right direction.
1: So say you have no clue, like... What kind of research you're interested in, what you like, especially as a first as a first year, maybe have no clue what you want to go into, like not even down to like medicine or surgery or whatever route you want to go in that kind of situation when you're like, I don't know if I like kidneys or if I like like heart and lungs or those kind of things. What are options for kind of figuring out some of the things that you might want to do before you start to hone an idea later in
0: your
2: med school experience.
0: And is that even important to to know for this experience for this kind of experience?
2: Yeah, does anybody go into medical school thinking like, "Wow, I really love kidneys." People I, I'm I sure mean some exists. people do. I'm sure they do, but like that's that can't be the majority of people that go into nephrology. Probably didn't start medical school thinking like, "Man, they just they look cool. They do cool stuff, you know, like <laughs>
5: we love sodium." <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I think that's true. I think some people might come into medical school with prior research experiences that they're hoping to build off of. Many students come here from institutions that didn't have the breadth of the clinical research that we have to offer, and so they maybe did basic science research in a certain field, and then they want to see what the translational clinical implications of that could be, and so that might be an avenue that people could share their interests with us. I think it's important to understand, like, what vein of research are you interested in pursuing? Like, are you interested in developing some cutting-edge methods? Or are you interested in, again, the basic science, bench-type classical research? Or do you want to stay far away from that and do more clinical-based research? So I think hopefully people would have a general sense of where they want to go with their first research experience in medical school. And that can be a starting point, too, in terms of rather than a specific area of research, like a type of research that they're interested in doing.
2: Yeah. I'm thinking like in my undergrad, I learned I don't want to do bench research anymore. Like I'm, it was fun. I learned a lot. It was gratifying that we got to publish something that was useful and I never want to do it again. Like pipetting is just not really my personality coming into medical school. I know that, and I know I want to do something else. And then I guess the question is, I don't know what else. I just know I don't want to do that, which is better than nothing. Right. But then I just, you know, have a conversation with you and say, what, what do you recommend that I do? Or do I just start reaching out to PIs and saying, Hey, what are you doing until something sounds nice or.
5: Yeah. And a bit of it will depend on like how important is it for you to funded research application this summer? If you're, if like funding and staying on campus and doing any kind of research is what's most important to you, then again, we have like curated rosters of well-funded investigators that we know would be able to provide a meaningful research experience for you. If it's more about like exploring a lot of different options and if funding is in place, that's awesome. If not, you just would enjoy being part of the process, then that's a bit of a different conversation. But I think it's a good place to start looking at some of the different rosters and then seeing how that aligns with your interests. And then if you're really at a loss, again, because of the large volume of individuals that you might come across that are interested in being mentors, you could, again, reach out to Aaron and myself, and we can try to point you in the right direction. You can also look at departmental websites, like if there's a specialty that you're interested in possibly pursuing, that might be another resource for you. Many other departments will have a list of faculty that are involved in research, and they could talk to you. And if They don't have anything ongoing they could defer you to one of their colleagues so it's different options
0: i think my perception is that maybe you can either back me up or disabuse me of the notion my my perception is that most researchers want to help is that the case or, or or is it you know sort of a sacrifice for them to help medical students
5: yeah it is i think that's a good perspective to have and i always encourage the students to be very appreciative of the opportunities that the mentors provide to them because not everybody's doors is wide open to mentoring medical students just because the yield in terms of publication and long-term research careers might not be quite at that same level that you'd expect with the say graduate student program where they're more likely to need multiple publications and pursue a research field long term so There is a lot of effort that the mentors have to put into it to get students on board and pushing their research forward, but the mentors do it because they find it's a rewarding experience. And we know that not everybody's gonna wanna um, have research a part of their academic career, but at least we hope to give them an appreciation for the importance of research and a familiarity with the language of research so that they can use that in whatever career direction their passions take them.
3: And I felt like a lot of people that I reached out to personally were really helpful and really honest about how active their lab was. Do they think it was helpful for my like future career? At the time, I was thinking general surgery, and I was looking at surgical like research, and a few of the providers that I reached out to were like, I would love to have you. My lab is just not in a spot where I can take you on. So I think they're honest in how helpful they can be at least here
2: i guess that's another concern that i think you kind of brought up there was uh, i feel pretty confident about what i want to do with my career but i I know a lot of my classmates as an m1 that just have no idea right and they're they've almost got that that fear of what if i do research in the wrong field that that's you know not going to help me get to waste of my time or waste of
0: their time or
2: yeah they don't they they don't want to you know maybe they do a really big study on the kidneys. Right. And then they get down the line and they decide when they're applying that they really want to go to cardiology and they feel like this kidney thing is almost a a hindrance. I don't know if that's the case. I obviously I've never applied to residency. I'm just an M1. I just, I know that that's, that's a a fear that's been sitting in some people's minds. So what, what are your thoughts on that? I guess.
5: Yeah, we strongly encourage students, especially the ones that are interested in graduating with research distinction to start a research project that they find the most interesting and in retrospect maybe there are reasons that it wasn't quite ideal for you but then you just have to ask yourself some important questions like how important is it for me to do research in the department or field that I'm interested in pursuing long term versus continuing to help this Investigator pushed push that research project forward. And a lot of it comes down to the thing that you're passionate about. And if you're passionate about the research before, it was working well for you, and it's leading in important new directions, we strongly encourage the students then to continue along that same vein of research. There's nothing out there that says if you want to apply for a cardiology residency, you need to do cardiology research. I think People that are reviewing applicants want to see people that were interested in doing something can pursued it with a passion and can talk enthusiastically about it during their residency interviews, and there's always going to be time later to switch gears if it's found to be necessary for whatever reason. But we strongly encourage students not to drop a project that seems to be working well, if it's just because their clinical interests are starting to shift a little bit because that shouldn't be necessary and i don't think that's something that the residency program coordinators would want to see the students doing is dropping things just because they thought it was necessary for their applications
3: i think with that too like you're still doing the important things the important parts of research is like the experiment didn't work and why or this is happening in the population but why and the the most important part is being able to have a thought and pursue answering that question. I I was a neuroscience major. I did research in cardiometabolic health, and I had to argue with not argue. I had to state my claim on why my research should count, and that's like what I did to the neuroscience chair, and she like a hundred percent agreed. So I think hopefully, whatever residency you are applying to, you can frame it in that sense and like and I can apply it to cardiology now that I am interested in
0: cardiology. And I think residency program folks are realistic about medical students and their interests. I mean they were once medical students as well, so hopefully they remember that people's interests change and evolve and and so they, you know, they're they're not all that concerned I think about, you know, what you what exact field you did your research in. If they're interested in people who have research experience, then that's I think the most important thing.
1: Another thing that we talked about earlier this week was that say you come in and you aren't even at the point where you know you want to dive into kidneys. Because we have so far to talking about a lot of like specific clinic research. But Dr. Roger and I talked about like the options when it comes to doing research about like diversity, equity and inclusion, social determinants of health, people with disabilities, those kind of things where if you feel strongly about like a population... Or a group of people or something that you perceive as being not great about medicine, you can do that without dedicating yourself to, say, the kidneys or the heart. You can focus on the people rather than the system.
5: I agree that research into health disparities or like health equity research is really important. There's a lot of initiatives at our institution to try to help answer some of these important questions like why is it that black infants have a higher child mortality rate, and why is it that they're less likely to receive breastfeeds? And there's association between those two variables. If we could find a way to improve prenatal care, breastfeeding rates, and all these other things, maybe we can improve outcomes for a lot of people. And so I think there's a lot of resources that need to be put in place there. And doing research to understand the background rates and then the best practices and the ways to move things forward I think would be really important.
2: And that's kind of, it's kind of interesting that there are so many different areas that you can pick the population that you're trying to help or, or some other issue and how it intersects with medicine will, will give you a lot of opportunities. For example, if you're interested in how climate change is affecting medicine, I guarantee there's an infectious disease doctor nearby that's doing something, right? Or maybe pollution and urbanization. There's a pulmonologist that's doing some kind of study, right? So it's kind of interesting that I don't know that that approach appeals to me a lot more I guess as a as an idealist who has all these causes that I'm interested in instead of thinking what disease am I interested in or or what organ system am I interested in what population or what issue in the world am I interested in and then bringing it back into well where is this affecting the body who's studying how it's affecting an organ system or or something like that I think I think that's an interesting way to approach looking for research
1: yeah and shamelessly plugging other podcasts that we've done like we had an entire conversation with an M3 student who's looking into how to remove race-based algorithms from medicine. So just like realizing that if you want to find it, there is a connection between whatever you're interested in and medicine. Obviously, you can't guarantee that there's research on it, but it's something that you can
0: explore. So I think one of the things that we also talked about was how to be realistic about what it is you can achieve as a medical student doing research. And one of the things that I think I've read is, how do I get a first author publication? And the question that <laughs> that I always want to ask in return is, is that a realistic thing for medical students to expect? I'm not sure that it is. What do you think, Dr. Roger?
5: I think it's definitely realistic to, expect and hope to get a first author publication by the time that you're done with medical school, but you have to start with like really honest conversations with the people that are going to be mentoring you. And you wouldn't want to go to a huge basic science laboratory that's pushing the boundaries of science and are trying to come up with this really novel pathway and then expect that you're going to get on the ground floor of that and then have your first author publication by the time that you're done with medical school because that's obviously not going to happen. So if your goal is primarily to have a first author publication, which is a reasonable goal, then you'd want to identify a project that has a very high likelihood of being done at least halfway through your protected research time so that You have a little bit of a buffer there if things don't go quite as well as you would like you're still able to get it wrapped up and then you're still able to pull everything together and get it written up and accepted and published and so the scope of the research is going to be a lot smaller and you're going to actually have to hit the ground running and then put extra effort in just to make sure that that's something that can happen for you but you have to have like serious honest conversations with yourself and your mentor about what's feasible for me to get this accomplished and hopefully the mentors would be able to help you by a project that would make that happen
3: i'm trying to think if i know anyone who got first author publications just from summer research i think there's one person i know that got published but i think they like started working on their project in january and then worked on it 10 times as hard over the summer and i think that is like the ideal situation where like it got accepted by a journal and they had minimal edits and it went through. Whereas I think the normal course is making 300 edits, sending it back and you're doing a lot of clarifications. But I think it's definitely a hundred percent capable to get put on a paper that's already like in the works, do work and be like second, third author.
0: Yeah. Is that okay? I mean, You know, is that a is that good enough? I think
2: second and third shows that you showed up. If you're like fifteenth, right? Like that's that's
3: (laughs) you brought coffee. You
2: know, that's that's a different story, right? But and and residency directors know this, right? They they've they've published before. They're aware that the it's not just the first author that did work that did meaningful work on a project. And so I I I think it's fine to say that I'm I'm second or third or, or fourth author out of out of several. You know, so but I I don't know what. Please feel Free to correct me. I know.
1: I know one thing that the AAMC and universities and everyone publishes is quote unquote research experiences, and those are defined as presentations, abstracts, and publications. Once again, as same as Jeff, I have never applied to residency. So we have so much in common. <laughs> I know, but I know that they can look at it as in like how many distinct individual like things you can do, and I know part of the research we have here. Highly suggests that you do a uh, presentation at the end of it. So that's a research experience. A lot of times you'll be submitting abstracts to different conferences. Well, that's a research experience. And if you presented that conference, that's another research experience. Those kind of things can add up as well.
2: And I guess you'd have to think... And again, having never applied to residency program, you have to think about ROI on these things. As a medical student, we are very busy going, going to conferences can be a very meaningful experience. We, we went to a conference. I didn't even present research at it, but it it was incredibly meaningful to be able to go to those. And the amount of time that I had to invest in that was, was minimal apart from actually being there. Right. As opposed to being the first author on a paper, that's, that's a serious commitment. And you wonder I, and I don't know, is it—is it, is it going to be that much of an extra leg up? Like I'm currently, I'm going to be the first author on the project that I'm working on, I'm on the PI on it, but I kind of lucked into it. And frankly, I started on it in November and I'm not going to be done till next December. So that's thats a huge time commitment. I don't know if that's necessarily more valuable than being able to present an abstract of a project that I was, you know, fifth author on at six different conferences. I don't know.
0: Well, it, I mean, its it's got to be you know impressive because people know the time commitment that's fair is
2: everything i do is impressive Uh, well i've always
0: (laughs) (laughs) said that
5: i think there's a lot of nuance there that the programs will be well aware of like different gpas from different institutions are different different authorship orders on different journals are different so like it's a lot bigger deal to be second author on a science publication than first author on journal that I don't want to name names of. So I think, I think the people reviewing the applications kind of know like the quality of the journals, and then you can annotate your application or say somewhere else in the interviews, like what was my contribution to this publication. And a lot of times the biggest contributions are on manuscripts that you might not be the first author on. And If you can just kind of talk passionately about it, like different people that are interviewing you will pick off different things on your CV to want to talk about. So don't like list hobbies that you don't want to discuss. Don't list publications that you don't remember anything about. Don't list research experiences if you can't like remember things that you had done during that opportunity. So if you can list a publication, no matter what author order you're at, and then describe like what the key findings were, what you learned from it, and where you would see yourself moving forward with research and residency or fellowship, I think is all that you need to hope for.
0: I think also, well, I expect also that an important part of doing research is working as a team and i think that's probably also something that you know is a benefit beyond you know where you were in the list of authors because that's what residency you're going to be working as part of a team and residency programs want to know that you can do that
2: yeah i imagine it probably doesn't go very well if you're applying to a bunch of residencies looking at yourself as the superstar when they know that like you have to be a, a, a member of a team, and you're definitely not going to be the "quote unquote" superstar for quite a long time in your career. So, No.
0: Yeah. Short coats, We love to hear from you, no matter what it's about. So call us at three four seven SHORT CT with questions, shower thoughts, complaints about your situation, whatever you like. We'll talk about it on the show.
1: A couple questions I had from the other side. So since you work with both students that are looking to get into research and mentors that want students to get into research, what are things on our side as the student that we can do to make the most of it? Obviously, like you need to have that perfect connection. You have to find research that's interesting to you. But also as a med student, what are mentors looking for in someone they want to do research with?
5: Yeah, I think a lot of the mentors value a student that is willing to take ownership over what they're doing and the direction that they're trying to take the research project. We would like to see the student asking questions, being curious, trying to figure out exactly why we're doing the things that we're doing and not just what they're supposed to be doing on a day-to-day basis. And the thing that excites me the most, both in the clinical rotations and then in the research rotations is when you have a student that's seeing someone present their patient or present their data and then they voice they find their voice and say well wait a minute you know this is my patient can I go ahead and give you the history myself or I did that data I can tell you kind of what we found so someone that's able to balance what you've talked about you don't want to make it seem like you're the person that's in charge of everything that's going on. But those specific things that you did and you can help the team identify the strengths and weaknesses of the data set, I think, is what the mentors enjoy, seeing those students that don't just let themselves get pushed aside and pushed to the corner, and then other people are doing stuff, and then at the end of the day, don't even ask, you know, what can I do to help everybody else wrap things up, but someone that's more present and available and then again taking ownership over the project i think is what gets people excited about the student's potential to be successful in research moving forward
1: i feel like that's a really good a really good description of how to enter into research and how
2: to find things that You'll feel like it'll be a good use of your time. I mean, I think at the end of the day, that's what we're all hoping for, right? Like we didn't come to medical school because we thought it was going to be nothing but misery. We want this to be a fulfilling experience as much as possible. And that's obviously not always possible when you have to study 12 hours a day for a unit on the kidneys. But if I'm going to be spending the summer doing something, I want it to be something that is is meaningful and fulfilling not just because it's going to make me look like a better applicant. I want it to be something that is in and of itself intrinsically valuable, right?
0: Yeah. That, I mean that's that's sort of been our constant refrain on this show is is you know, if you're going to do something, do it because you want to do it, do it because you're passionate about it. Or or at least do it because you fully intend to be a complete participant in that activity and not just because you want to check off a box
5: on your on your application someday.
0: Well, with that, uh, Dr. Robert, thank you for joining us and talking a little bit about research today. I appreciate it.
5: My pleasure. Thank you for the opportunity. Yeah. Take care. Yeah, you too.
0: So you guys talked about, some of you talked about the research that you've done. So I think two two of you have done research. Is that... Is that I think right? all of us have done yeah. research. Yeah. Okay, so what have you? So what have you done? I want to talk um, a little bit about that. I
3: guess we well, can go in the circle. So I did it backwards. I did clinical research in undergrad with diabetes cardiometabolic outcomes. It sounds scary. It wasn't. We did hot yoga, and then this past summer I did too many things. I did a rat lab where we looked at a specific protein marker. I got to do the pipetting. I like feeling like a mad scientist, so I enjoyed my bench work, but then I also worked on literature review on weight stigma in healthcare and how that like the outcomes show up like as clinical markers and as While working on that same project, I am also looking at a bunch of diabetes patients going back through their charts and seeing how BMI correlated with the insulin dose. Those two are still very much in the works slash not in the works because I'm in the semester.
4: (laughs) (laughs) What about you, Faith? Yeah, so I did undergrad research in kind of like neurodevelopmental behavior of down syndrome mm-hmm. so i got to do treatment studies and luckily was able to run that project by myself and did end up being able to publish that and then just being as a part of the mstp here i did a summer rotation where i tried out a flight research instead of
0: i did not realize that you were <laughs> mstp faith I
4: yeah you know the cup gives it away a little bit I but it is it, it is <laughs> hidden in here
2: can't <laughs> expect <laughs> dave to read that's I why he does a podcast I'm right
0: <laughs> my, eyes are, my eyes are terrible despite these glasses they do nothing yeah i apologize for that MD, no, PhD. okay
2: she's it. clearly the most qualified i mean that's why she's so <laughs> quiet she already has her answers to most of these questions <laughs> i
4: have answers to the questions and the answers are you'll figure it out when you do it because the plan's gonna change fair enough, fair enough. you just kind of have to stick it out
2: fair enough Jeff, what'd you do? I did community health based research in meningitis as an undergrad and then I did bench research specifically in cancer, prostate cancer markers. And to be honest, I they, they had a fair the other day where they led us, they were showing like medical instruments or like scientific instruments. And I saw the pipettes and I did kind of have a longing like, sense of like No, like it was like, Oh, that's kind of home, uh, you know, because okay. my, my undergrad nice. was biotechnology. <laughs> I had more lab courses than non lab courses for my degree. Like I spent a lot of time pipetting things. And it, as much as I don't want to do that for a career, it's it's nice. Cathartic. It's, yeah, it's cathartic. Okay. And now I'm working on a malnutrition study in South Africa. So that's That's going to take the next year of my life entirely. So that's going to be fun. Fantastic. Matt, so and the complete opposite
1: of you... I was an engineer in undergrad and my research was in engineering. It was a combination of biomedical engineering and orthopedics. So I did a lot of like computer modeling of hip fractures and putting them back together to see if there are any markers that it would progress to osteoarthritis using different like simulations and things like that. And like you said, when it comes to like seeing pipettes and being like, oh, i Wish I would have done that. Where I wish I like had the chance to pipette one more time. It's kind of how I feel about code, where I'm like, do I want to code my entire life? No. But every once in a while I have this mad scientist idea where I'm like, I have something that I could probably turn into code. So let's just do it. And so every once in a while I get on one of those like kicks where I just create a passion project on MATLAB or whatever. At least that's a little bit more accessible than pipetting. But You think? Okay. I mean, accessible as in, like, I can go on my computer. Oh, you can just go to your computer. Okay. I can't just
3: go home and pipette. Get your turkey (laughs) waster.
4: I think if you've got good technique and you can get connected with someone, they would gladly hand over some of their pipetting.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Shortcoats, if you're enjoying our conversation today, I'd be grateful if you'd let people know by posting a story on Instagram or Facebook or tweeting about us. And don't forget to tag us in your post. Thank you. you. Well, good. Speaking of research, it's the holiday season. And no doubt you are sad that your exams are done. So I've decided to put on my fake medical educator hat and see if you've done your research with this holiday pop quiz featuring studies highlighted at studyfinds.org. Studyfinds.org seems to be entirely about public relations studies for companies so for instance you know the mattress firm will uh, post some bullshit research about christmas
2: i i was so excited for like recent publications in science i was like i (laughs) i am a nerd i do follow those like i got this well Well, you clearly haven't been on the podcast because this podcast is not (laughs) for nerds that's That's fair that's reasonable that's
0: not how this is yeah so (laughs) according to a study of, according to a 2019 study of uh, 2000 adults, what percentage of gifts will actually be used by their recipients? 43%, 83%, 13%, or
1: 63%? When I first read that, I did not like interpret the 2000 as being like a number of people. I thought it was just like, yeah, this survey was done of people
0: from 19 years ago. Yeah, I'm going to warn you that every single one of these things that I read, was a study of exactly two thousand people. Perfect.
1: The the Y two K nightmare. <laughs> <laughs> once that once that was done, they were like, "All right, time to
2: survey a bunch of people." I'm gonna go with forty three percent on this one, Dave. Okay. i was gonna say forty three as well. Okay. Lock that in. Why My why why,
0: why did you pick that number?
2: Eighty three percent feels really high. Thirteen percent feels too low. And I got too negative, I guess, on this one. I'm gonna go with forty three over sixty three.
0: Okay. All right.
3: I'm joining the squad in this. I my favorite percentage on any given test. You have something wrong with you medically. It's probably 33% chance of yeah. x. <laughs> but since that's not an option, 43 is the next best answer.
0: Okay. Fair. Yeah. Faith.
4: A little less than half feels pessimistic, but like we all know the gifts that we've gotten that sit somewhere in the back of our closet and I think it's realistic. Okay.
1: I feel like it depends on what they like Like the whole idea of gift giving being like, it depends on who it is. Cause sometimes I'm like, I just want some socks and I will use those socks. Mm. It's pretty easy to use socks. But when it's like extended family, that's like, you go to Iowa, let's get you an Iowa thing. I'm like, I already have it. So I'm (laughs) not going to use it. I have a collection of different Iowa things in my home closet that I was gifted by
0: extended family members that I'm like, I'm never going to use this. Not take take me. take heed, family members of Matt. Give him socks. I just want socks. Safe. You might <laughs> want to return those <laughs> gifts that you bought from
4: him, and not Iowa socks. Yeah. <laughs> <that>. See, <laughs> here is the danger regularly. of that.
2: One time, I was staying with the family that. I told them that I wanted socks, and then I got so many socks. Yeah. That I think it out like the the mass of socks outweighed the rest of my clothes combined. Yeah. I had an ungodly amount of socks. That is the danger. So don't do of it. that, family yeah. and friends. Please, yeah. ever again. Communicate what you're going to get us. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, I say socks. I mean a pair, not like <laughs> sixty <laughs> pairs. I'm good. Yes. Amazon wish list, check it <laughs> off, like a wedding present. My yeah, my sister did send me a Google Doc of her like. Gift registry this year, and it felt a little extra, but also it was really convenient. Love that. Yeah, yeah. very convenient. Sometimes You're all right. You
0: the answer is forty three percent. Eighty one percent of adults just want a practical gift that they can use throughout the year. Seventy seven percent like socks. Thought the <laughs> ideal gift would be something health related. I'm, I'm going to get, get like socks. chocolate
3: bars. <laughs> yes. <laughs>
0: Hey, I heard
1: from one of those studies that chocolate's good for you, and I didn't look into it. Yeah. So Chocolate and wine,
3: actually. Yeah. And coffee. I don't care how much. Chocolate, this confirmed
2: wine. my already held beliefs. Yes, this is a good
1: study.
0: Chocolate, wine, coffee, heroin, whatever you want, it's all good for you. It's good. Yeah. All Nothing right. in the world is bad. Yeah, let's try Asterisk. the next. Let's try the <laughs> next. Here's the next question. According to a 2021 survey of 2,000 sexually active adults, what location do seven out of ten plan to have sexual relations in this holiday season? Is it one, an airplane bathroom? Two, their childhood home? Three, the back of a taxi or rideshare car? Or four, under the tree?
2: Okay, I can't give any back backstory for this. <laughs> <laughs> Good startation. Like I've done planning. this before. Nobody's going into the holiday season planning the back of a taxi or rideshare car. Or if they are, that's got to be of like a major, like a like a very small like minority a, of people. Like this niche. is not seven yeah, out of ten. That's like okay. a. So that one's immediately off the list. <laughs> seven out <laughs> of
0: ten people want to have sex in a taxi.
2: And if they are, I'm just like my comfort. Like i Next time I go to New York, I'm just like only going to use the subway there's no way i could use a taxi ever <laughs> yeah, again the subway know? is totally clean yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> i did not I think have these... sexual relations in the back of a taxi <laughs> uh airplane same thing i don't think that people like seven out of ten people i don't know that. the mile high club is very it's very it's culturally exciting. prominent yeah it's exciting it's a thrill seven out of ten people are not planning that all right okay yeah um yeah. i'm gonna say their childhood home if
1: only because of that one snl skit that came out about 10 years ago where they like had a they had a song about getting out on in their childhood bedrooms okay. recommended is pretty funny
0: okay
3: the only one that seems like remotely wholesome and i like to have faith in the world is under the tree That's it does kinda sound kind of
2: cute doesn't it i like uh,
3: that a
2: love under the tree
3: yeah love yeah. under the tree feels right Love in a taxi feels like indecent exposure slash yeah, borderline poor, sexual. you, you harassment. May get yeah. How driver. are you getting
4: boundaries? Like, <laughs> yeah. how are you getting consent for that? Of just in the back of some person's car.
0: You, you would. You would have to. Yeah. yeah I barely somebody take in myself. that. Somebody in that situation has not given. Consent. I
2: think the right answer is childhood home. I want the right answer to be under the tree.
0: Faith, do you? Do you agree?
4: I think it's got to be childhood home. Okay. How tall are everyone else's trees? Like, that doesn't seem. I what think is under what here. Is like very take, yeah, It's a very liberal. I'm, I'm literally under. Actually the
3: tree. under. <laughs> like that's You're down here that's, under branch. <laughs> the green branch. I'm like that's not oh, my that's eye. not realistic. On <laughs> that comfortable little
2: like the the tree skirt. Yeah. Like like scratchy the
4: Adjacent to maybe, but like <laughs> yeah. under no.
2: I think yeah. under the tree they mean adjacent to the yeah, tree. I think yeah. that's
4: not what they said. The
2: tree could cast a shadow. This
4: on This is a them. badly written survey.
0: Yeah, the answer is their childhood home or parents' house. Sixty-seven percent admit. It. They are uncomfortable with that, however. But apparently, that's the plan. They're planning on it, even though they're uncomfortable well, with it. You know, you go Sometimes home.
2: You I mean, gotta stress your boundaries. Yeah. You know? yeah.
1: <laughs> All right. So we will have a link to that video in the podcast description. So what? okay, I sent it. Oh, to the uh, you. the, I, the
0: uh, SNL video. Okay. <laughs> we will not have <laughs> a sex we tape attached to this video. <laughs> I wasn't aware that that was out there. <laughs> yeah. All right. According to a study of 2000 holiday celebrating Americans, what percentage of respondents don't hate Secret Santa? Is it 21%? 32%? 79%? Or 10%? They don't hate Secret Santa.
3: This feels like Dr. Rubenstein wrote this question. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs)
2: Gotta think about it in reverse. I'm gonna go with the 32% based solely on
3: Chandler's rule. Yeah, I gotta stick Mm -hmm. to my 30% rule. It's always safe.
2: That said... I did not realize that Secret Santa was such a, a a dangerous topic for for holidays. I thought everybody loved Secret Santa. I thought this was kind of a fun thing that we did with our fan, friends and
0: family. Well, we don't know that it's a dangerous. I mean, seventy nine percent. I guess seventy nine percent is one
2: of the options, but it is a clear outlier. For those of you studying for the MCAT, I'm gonna go ahead and tell you: if it's a clear outlier, it's probably not right.
1: Unless it's like the double AMC
2: is like,
1: how many, what percent of people don't
2: sponsor us? <laughs> yeah, don't sponsor us, double AMC.
1: But if, if there's a question that's specifically about that, it's the extreme. It's like, what percentage of people what? like, like med school, and it's like 10, 20, 30. Four hundred. The way he's like that one.
0: People love it. It's because of us. I, I think that's an. You make an important point because remember this is you know these are funded by companies wanting to just basically get their who's selling. get their Secret bullshit Santa? in the in the news <laughs> right because because that's what they really they're that's, they're looking for fair. free advertising
3: that's so. fair but who benefits like it's not like you give money to Secret Santa I mean it doesn't matter do like Secret if you're Santa.
0: if you're like Target you know like mm. you just want your name in the so you know. If you're TJ Maxx, no one goes to TJ Maxx being like, I'm going to
1: find something fun. You go there, if you're doing a secret sand and you're like, let's see if I can find something
2: that's interesting.
1: And yeah. it's
3: always the yeah. weird rack in the men's section above the underwear. And it's like, this seems useful. TJ
2: Maxx <laughs> above the underwear. I, I'll check Maxx. it out, Chandler. <laughs> TJ
0: Maxx, please sponsor. <laughs> <laughs> We're going to get you so much money, Dave. I will say that I never, I usually don't participate in the office secret Santa. It's a lot of pressure. I'm, I'm just a scrooge. There's always a money. I will go to the lunch, but I, you know.
3: <laughs> There's, like, money involved.
2: Do you know involved? what I got? So, I, I'm safe saying this because I know she's not going to listen to this podcast. We do a secret Santa with my wife's siblings. Oh, uh, yeah. And I bought my sister-in-law, like, 60 pounds or $60 worth of um the Nerds gummy balls. Oh, hell oh, yeah. That's, that's awesome. It. That's all she's getting is this giant tote of Nerds gummy balls, and I'm going to like empty them all into the tote and just give her a giant bag. Sweet. So...
0: And I'm not going to tell her it's from me. Did everybody <laughs> did everybody express an opinion about this? Or? I'm going to go with 79%. I think I could be very wrong if it's like,
1: do you either love or hate Secret Santa? I feel like a lot of people don't love it. But I'm going to say like if it was like on a one to five scale or one is hate and five is love, most
0: people are like a three. So, so 79% two. of people don't hate Secret Santa. That's your... I'm
2: going to go with
4: game. 32%. Okay. I'll go 79. Okay. i the outlier. Okay.
0: And, and Chandler, I think
3: you... I'm know. sticking to my rule, but I, it does make sense. Hate's a strong emotion. I don't think anyone really cares that much. Someone's pu- this is a
0: clickbait article guarantee. They're, they're using they're using strong emotions. Yeah. Well, all guesses are wrong. 21% uh, oh. say they don't. They, 79% say they hate Secret Santa because they never know what to get for their designated gift getter. 87% admit re-gifting items that they got from past Secret Santa exchanges and on average and this blew my mind. On average respondents say they spend $85 on, s- on secret santa gifts.
3: Whoa. I guess, so I guess I gifts. I'm definitely the
0: outlier this year buying $60 worth
2: of nerd's I, gummies for one person, yeah. I thought it was really funny though, so it was I mean, making, sometimes you just got to you just got to do is it. It's only funny if you commit. You yes. got to commit. Like I had committed to this bit. Well, clearly they asked a bunch of like people that
1: have rich friends. If they like Secret Santa, like, the kind of people are like, ah, oh, shoot, I don't want to spend $100 on, like, some stupid, like, purse. I'd rather spend $20 to give something that'll be regifted anyways. Like, that's the beauty of being a college student, is everybody goes into Secret Santa knowing that their gift is gonna suck, and <laughs> the point of it is that it's fun to just exchange $10 of suck rather than actually, like, Like I'm not gonna be like, hey, here's a here's a new cooking pan. Have fun. I mean, I
4: take pride in my gift. Like when we do White Elephant, of mine being the one that everyone fights over, like a soft blanket. Like a I find White Elephant too easy to
0: cheat cheat the rules on because those usually have a spending limit, right? Yeah, it's not. You can
4: get a nice blanket for like (laughs) (laughs) ten. But even like
0: a nice blanket, like that's
2: so nobody likes the guy that brings an iPod to White
0: Elephant. Okay. Well, that's our show, Matt, Chandler, Jeff, Faith, thank you for being on the show with me today.
2: Merry Christmas, everyone. Of course. Happy holidays. Happy
0: holidays. And what kind of spurious correlation would I be if I didn't thank you, Shortcuts, for making us part of your week? If you're new and you would like what you heard today, follow the show wherever fine podcasts are available, like Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and YouTube. Thank you to this week's editors, Katie Hyam Kessler and Angela Mahoney, and to the producer of this episode, my friend Matt Anglekin. This show is made possible by a generous donation by Carver College, Madison Student Government, and ongoing support from the Writing and Humanities Program. Our music is by Dr. Vox and Catmosphere. I'm Dave Etler saying, Don't let the bastards get you down. Talk to you in one week. Hi, short coats. Look. Life in medical education, life in America, life in the world is often difficult, and I often wish I could help. All I have is this podcast, but in my wildest dreams, you have the support you need to lead a life of your choosing. You deserve to be happy, healthy, and successful in whatever ways you define those words. So if you need support because you've experienced racism, discrimination, harassment, mental health crises, I want you to be able to get the help